There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery. Monday Distillery is a new age beverage company revolutionizing the way we look at having a night out with friends. They make sophisticated, non-alcoholic beverages that are sugar-free and full of social graces. Now you can enjoy a good time, love what you drink and love yourself the next day too. Stay high in spirits, keep a clear mind. Cheers to Monday. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today I'm joined by Jimmy. Jimmy is a friend of Lyndall. Lyndall's like super famous on this podcast. <laughs> and so she talked Jim on to coming on and sharing his story on the podcast and it's taken us a while to get him here. So I'm super stoked. Thanks, Jimmy. How are you going? Going well, Danny. Nice to meet you. Cheers. Awesome. So, Jimmy, um, tell us a bit about your your journey with alcohol. When did you start drinking? Uh, okay. Um, I don't know. How long have you got, mate? It's, 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 it's a long <laughs> Well, when story, did you start? Yeah. yeah, when did you start drinking? Oh, I start drinking, um, I guess, briefly, the, the best way to explain it is I start drinking at... Um, uh, at you know the age of 15 I'm, I'm a I'm a binge drinker straight away um you know there was no uh sampling uh different boutique beers for me um you know the boys and I would buy you know spend out pull together our money and buy a slab and a bottle of bourbon and go and write ourselves off straight away pretty much it would well, was that at 15 yeah 16 maybe 16 yeah. mm-hmm. um the first time I ever, I can remember the first time I ever had a drink, uh, a, a mate talked me into it down at, uh, I was 15 years old down the coast on a New Year's Eve. And I think the first drink I actually ever had was a six Strongbow Sweet or something like, something horrific like that. And um, and I can remember drinking all six in my first go and feeling pretty wobbly and lightheaded. And um, I can remember, I can still remember stumbling back 
uh, from the beach back to the caravan park, thinking I was having a great time. And, and one of my mates often that I hear speak a bit says, I can't remember the first time I ever had green beans, but I can remember the first time I had a, had a drink of alcohol. I can remember the effect straight away. And I kind of resonate with that. Like I can recall that straight mm. away. Mm. Like what is it? It's like, you know, 25, nearly 30 years ago now. That was what I wanted to do after that. I can just remember that's what I wanted to do after on weekends, Fridays, Saturdays. That's what I wanted to do. Just get smashed. Get smashed. And it wasn't, yeah, and it wasn't, yeah, like I said, like I, I, I can't remember really ever having one or two and, and it being a social thing. And, and my God, my mates, my, my friends were the same, you know. We, we, we did the same thing. Mm. We, um, we just got, we just got like, it was almost a badge of honour to see how pissed you could get um and and get together the next day and try and piece the night together you know blackout drinking from the start blackout drinking vomiting and then getting back together on the next day and, and having a laugh and trying to put the put the night to, back together and work out who did what where they went what happened and mm. I never knew any other way yeah so did that carry that obviously that carried on through your 20s 30s for me, for me yeah for me that what's the funny thing with me is a lot of people I kind of think about this when I hear other people talk about their story. A lot of people um, talk about drinking that led to drugs and stuff like that. And their, their addiction sort of um, took off from, from into, into the drug world from there. I, I started smoking pot a lot more before I really got hooked on, on drink. Um, you know, at 17, 18, we were smoking billies um, mm. Flat out on on Fridays because we had on Friday nights because we had sport the next day so you didn't want to mm. pull up too crook so we were having a smoke and that you know I went to university in Melbourne I, I moved out of home and and pretty much straight away I was I was smoking pot every day um, morning noon and night for for three or four years straight and that you know looking back now that was I was pretty fried from that um, did that affect you mentally look now I look back on it really badly really really badly but I was I was 20 21 22 and I just didn't know I went through uh, a pretty pretty bad family breakup around the same time so I was messy mentally anyway Um, family breakup broke up with a girlfriend as well we were smoking pot all day every day you know looking back now I can put it together and go wow you were not in good shape mate but but at the time you know I was just trying to survive just doing the best I could yeah, absolutely. And with all traumatic events, addictions that we we pick up along the way, it's, it serves its purpose at the time. Yeah, I suppose. It got For me, it got to a point where like, I felt like I was going pretty nuts. I was pretty paranoid and it was affecting mm. me mentally. So I, I, I put that down. I, I stopped hanging out with those guys that I was hanging out with and actually went on a surfing trip for a couple of months, a couple of weeks, just over to Bali. So I just went cold turkey off that. And I can remember being over there and not sleeping at night and, um, you know, having nightmares when I did sleep just because I was coming off it and I just like mm. felt crazy as and, yeah. um, and, and got back and was, you know, really hell bent on not, not smoking anymore. But of course, what happens when you, when you put that down, unbeknownst to me, I'm picking a stubby up after work, mm. not just binge drinking anymore. I'm picking up a stubby after work after, uh, you know, doing a day's labouring and, and, you know, it did really, looking back, it didn't take long for one or two stubbies to realise that I could get a little buzz on after six. And, you know, it's not, it's buying the six pack and drinking the whole thing after work. Mm. And then, you know. 
So and it then, became an everyday thing or And that and that becomes everyday pretty quickly, yeah. And then and then I'd do the 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 uh the Australian thing in your twenties and, and went overseas for for three years and um you know, I was working in bars, I was managing bars and I mean, I don't know if you you did some travelling as well, Danny, probably, and mm. it, it, I could just do whatever I wanted any night of the week. No one gave a shit. Responsibility was gone. Accountability mm. was gone. Mm. Um, you know, and I didn't realise it now. Like, I can't look at it in the, in the moment. I don't know. But looking back on it with hindsight, I go, wow, that was just, a, I just greenlit myself, you know, like I was like, game on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So at what point did you start to feel like this is becoming a problem? I need to get a handle on it. Oh, I, I knew then when I was travelling overseas. Like oh, I can really? remember. Oh, yeah, shit, yeah. So what was I? It was about 2000 and, 2001, 2002. I can remember going, I can remember, you know, I, I never had any money, never had any money. I was always working minimum wage jobs. I was I, I I worked on a construction crew there that we they they we'd be in the pub every lunchtime no food you'd be two or three pints in in forty minutes and back to work half cut um, and I didn't have money to do that you know and I was still doing it and I remember thinking and waking up with hangovers and going I'm not doing it today and sure enough you know I'd be back into it I'd get talked into it I got a rubber arm I'd be straight back into it and. Um, you know, and like I said, like by the end of the night, you'd be laughing and having a great time and that decision was forgotten. Yeah, and then again, so then the next morning you wake up, what the fuck, and then I'm not doing yeah. it again. Yeah. And the same yeah. thing again. Yeah. What's the compulsion like like that when, it, when it's become a daily thing? I remember talking to Lyndall about this and her saying the same thing, that's it, I'm not doing this again. I can't imagine because I was never a daily drinker. I was a binge mm-hmm. drinker. Um, but I can't imagine that. Is it like a physical compulsion, does it feel like, or is it more a mental compulsion? Both, man. Well, the, the, mm. the, the, the compulsion is the action, isn't it? Like the obsession is what, we're, what you're trying to talk about. The obsession with it right. is, yeah. is, 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 the, is the waking up, I'm not doing it again, look what I've done, I've got no money, I'm too scared to look at the bank balance, so I haven't done you know, the things that I was supposed to do. I'm wearing the same filthy clothes because I didn't do any washing last night, I haven't eaten, I'm going to work on no dinner uh, from the night before, I can't do this again, splitting headache, blah, 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 blah. You know, getting to work and... Um, and then just getting talked into it and the, the thinking changes. So the obsession to not drink has turned into the obsession into like, how am I going to drink? Mm-hmm. Where am I going to get money? How am I going to manage it? You know, back in those days, I wasn't accountable to anyone. So I didn't have to be lying and hiding or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and then the compulsion is just the, just the, the action. There's no resistance when it, when it comes down to it. Mm-hmm. I just say, yes. Do you want to come to the pub? Yes. That's yeah, the compulsion. Wow. Did you feel scared at this point or did you? Nah. No. no, no, no. I was having a ball, mate. I was, I was, you know, what was I? 20, I think 25 when I came home, I was having a great time. Mm. I, knew, mm. I knew, I knew that I had a big problem. Um, and I knew that, um, you know, that I've got relatives, one relative at least that, that's a, an alcoholic and it got him in the end. So I knew that. I'd been told by my family that it was in the blood somewhere. And, you know, I just, that, that, 
that obsession. I just knew that, knew that I had it. I knew that I, I would walk into the pub when I knew there was a part of me inside that was saying, you, you shouldn't be going in here. You shouldn't be doing this. Mm. Don't do it. But I'd mm. still, my body would still walk in there. So, but I didn't, I wasn't scared because you know why? Because I was too scared not to. It's the only way I knew how to relate to people, how to feel comfortable, how to socialise, how to have fun. But mm. I didn't have the maturity to understand all that then. Mm. Right? So I'm just acting and just trying to, again, just trying to survive. Looking mm. back on it, I'm just trying to survive. Yeah, yeah. You know, socially, emotionally, I'm just trying to get by. So when you, you so you've come home, you're back in Australia, and, and at what point are you starting to feel like, okay, I've got to change, I've actually got to do something? And make the steps oh, to do it. Not for a long time. Not for really? a long time. No, nah, no. Nah. So this so went on for a long time. Well, we're talking 25 and I didn't stop drinking until the age of 40. So oh, Wow, right. So my drinking progresses throughout my life to the age of, so the long story is, oh, sorry, the short version of the long story is, you know, I come home, come home from overseas and I'm living back in Geelong and I'm like, uh, you know, everyone's, uh, getting married and having kids and they've got careers going and I'm not doing that. I'm too cool for that. You know, I'm going to go to Melbourne, keep living. I had a great time in my late twenties in Melbourne. Again, low paying jobs, but living in St Kilda, um, you know, pub every night, hanging around great pubs like the Prince of Wales and the SB and, you know, and again, I'm getting away with it. I'm doing it every night of the week. Mm. I'm, I'm not, I'm not very accountable. Um, I'm making sure that I'm hanging out with friends that, find that accepting and that it's sort of doing the same thing. Mm. And then I met Danny, my, my partner, Danny, she wanted to, she wanted to buy a house. We couldn't afford to buy in Melbourne, obviously. Even then she, she was starting to cotton up. You're like, you're drinking too much, Jimmy. And that's when I started really hiding alcohol. I'd get home from work. Uh, well, I'd actually buy, buy alcohol on the way home and I'd be drinking in the car on the way home, having a couple of stubbies, like thinking, oh, you know, I'm under the limit to knock off this is the Australian way all that type of shit mm. and um you know I'd walk in the house as if I hadn't had two stubbies and I wouldn't tell anyone that I'd had two stubbies and then Would Danny not smell it on you look you know probably but I yeah. think I'm when I'm when that's going on I think I'm cunning enough you know like I'll get straight into the I'll walk straight into the house not give her a kiss hello and go straight to the fridge and open one up so that you know stuff right. like that and yeah. then go and give her a kiss and say how are you stuff you know right. just just shifty little things that you think are innocent white lies at the time. Yeah. But, but they, they, they end up manifesting and, and getting bigger. So, you know, and then once she starts counting stubbies that are going on, you start, um, you know, hiding them. You start, you know, I've got empty stubbies rolling around in the bottom of the car. Um, mm. And then, you know, we, we, we ended up moving back to Geelong, bought, bought a house, started a little landscaping business, and and got pregnant fell pregnant within 12 months so life just took off massively in sort of responsibility and and my drinking sort of followed so then i started you know hiding white spirits like hiding hiding vodka and and nipping vodka on on vodka on the way home and not not mixing it no i'm not talking like you know uh, with with any squash or soda or anything like that, like straight from the bottle, and um, mm. to the point where it just completely spiralled out of control. And um, you know, my behaviour was horrific. 
my um, lying was horrific. My hiding of it was terrible, Daddy, terrible. Like, and the, some of the things that I used to think I was getting away with was just, you know, I'd have bottles stashed stashed in the garden, stashed uh, next to the recycling bin was a good one. Inside the recycling bin was a good one. Four bottles inside the recycling bin. Um, you know, even recycling bins were, were something that had to be managed because you didn't want to be, you know, found out. I'd drop them in other neighbours' bins, spot empties and stuff like that. I'd, I'd And, you know, it's just terrible. You'd, you'd black out and not remember where you'd hidden them. So Shit. I'd be going searching the next night for where I'd stash my stuff for myself. So surely by this point you must be starting to think it's not so fun anymore as it was back overseas. Like you must have, were you starting to get concerned at this point? Oh, I'm massively concerned, but I, I don't know any other way. I can't describe it. I just don't know. Yeah. I'm still just surviving. Like it, it's feeling like survival and, and the games just keep, keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So when did it shift, Jimmy? Like when did you go? How long have you been sober for? Just just celebrated uh, three years this month. Awesome. This month. Oh, congratulations. That's Thank so you. cool. Yeah, cheers. So, yeah, okay. It's amazing, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so what got you, where, tell me at breaking point. Well, the breaking point is the best way to describe it. It's a breakdown, isn't it? Like it's a full, mm. it's a full breakdown. The story goes, you know, Danny had, had kicked me out again, Um you know, and to be to be brutally honest with you, Danny, like I I, I was um oh jeez, oh, it's really hard to say this, but if I'm brutally honest with you, at the end she's she's really petrified of me because she doesn't know which bloke's coming home. Yeah, she doesn't know if a cheery bloke, a happy bloke, sad, cry, angry. Well, she got no idea what bloke's coming on coming home from day yeah. to day for a long yeah. time. You know, slowly progressing, horrific progression, really subtle really subtle over a long period of time mm. you know is he coming home to be happy is he coming home to just go off because the house isn't clean enough and slam doors or you know put my fist through walls horrible horrible stuff really mm. horrible stuff scary really scary for her really scary and you know or i'd come home and i'd be cheery but i wouldn't be able to get what i needed i wouldn't be able to drink the way i needed so i'd end up causing a fight storming off and uh, going to the mm. bottle or going out to the shed and finding where my stash was and you know really you know she's and I'm talking about topping myself and I'm talking about you know being completely numb of feelings like not ha- not being able to like really bizarre feeling like I, I'm telling her I can remember telling her like I just don't feel anymore I don't have feelings anymore she's like what are you talking about I'm like I'm just numb mm. because because I just deadened myself that much that the alcohol consumption was that much and that often daily that I was just wrecked I was just a mental emotional physical wreck and she'd had a gut full of me she'd had an absolute gut full trying to manage it trying to manage we got three little babies she's trying to manage yeah she's trying to manage you know I think I think my eldest Edie was when I 40 she was oh six or seven no, yeah, six or seven, and my twins. So she's got twins. Dan, my Danny's got twins mm. to look after, as well as an alcohol raging alcoholic husband. Oh uh, God, she deserves they were th- Three or four, like it's just chaos, man. Absolute chaos. Yeah, yeah. But but the and people might listen to that and go, why didn't she just leave him? But I'm, I'm I was still working. I was still. She wasn't working. She's got all these babies to look after, so she needs an income. She's trying to, you know, she knows that deep down I'm probably a decent fella and. 
Mm. And she, you know, there's a part of her that wants to save me. And and it's just really complicated. There's so many things tied up in it. And but eventually yeah. she just she just fucking couldn't stand it anymore, mate. And and yeah. and I was I was sleeping on the floor at mum's house. I've been kicked out again. You know, I'm 40, 40 years old, sleeping on the floor at my mum's house. And my mum's a really, really tough woman to hang out with. So that tells you how desperate I was to be, <laughs> to be, uh, you know, to be, you know, I just had, I was just done. And, and to be honest with you, and I say this a lot, it felt to me like there's nothing I can do about this. I'm going down in a ball of flames and... Mm. And despite all the great people in my life and my daughters and my business and my kids, you know, all this great stuff I've got in my life that I can't see, I can't stop drinking. And, and it's just, unfortunately, you're all just going to have to watch me, watch me go down. And whether I end up in, in jail or, or dead or, or what, I don't know, but I can't, I just can't do it anymore. I remember driving around and hoping that the police would pull me over because, I was just like, this has just fucking got to stop and I don't know how to stop it. The poor thing. I just feel like I feel like I'm about to burst into tears, but I, I can just, I can't even imagine how that must feel and, and not knowing what to fucking do. And you, you know, it's little wonder like so many people end up drinking themselves to death because they just don't know how to get out. Oh, mate, I, I tried. I tried. I tried psychologists. I tried doctors i tried um you that know that's my next question did you try other counselors yeah. doctors psychologists yeah. um ant abuse which is you know the medication that you take or i took naltrexone as well i used to wash it down with a stubby oh really so it didn't yeah work. just it doesn't doesn't wouldn't matter it's not addressing the problem anyway like i'm just a machine at this stage i'm just yeah yeah um i've got a question for you which we don't have to put into the podcast but I'm studying trauma and addiction to Gabor Mate, and he talks about there is no addiction without trauma. So do you feel you went through a lot of childhood? Was there childhood trauma there for you that you know of? I had pretty good childhood trauma. I think think I'm just a really self-conscious, quite sensitive, self-conscious kid, really like cripplingly self-conscious. Now, now this is going to sound weird because I had heaps of friends and I think looking back, I was probably pretty well liked, you know, I wouldn't say I'm popular, but you know, people tolerated me. I, you know, I had a, I had a a good time at high school and all that sort of stuff, but Mm. internally really just so worried about how I'm thought of and how people are thinking of, you know, and I reckon I've got it in me anyway, a bit of alcoholism then, but then, you know, I think they they say it's like 50, 50, 50, 50%. Genetic, fifty percent environment as well, you know. And then I had, I haven't had any horrific things. What yeah, is- I've got a good family. Like they, my my family blew up at, at when I was eighteen. My old man came home and and he'd been seeing someone else for for a while, and we had like a pretty typical suburban family, I reckon. And it just it exploded, and everyone knew, and it was it was horrible, I, and. I hated it. It was really horrible. And I had a girlfriend at the same time that, that was cheating on me, you know, young love, 18 years old, just, just wrapped up in this girl. And and that was all going pear shaped. And, you know, a lot of this stuff was quite public. I know that I'm not a famous person, but in my circles, like everyone knew my private business and private um, day to day, you know, really felt really exposed Mm, that there's that sense of wanting to escape definitely not going to help it 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not going to help it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Wow. I probably should tell you that six six months six months before I stopped drinking, which was probably just the tiniest little needle on top of the haystack that brought it all down, was my old man. My dad got hit by a car uh, riding his bike, and um, and um, and he was he's quadriplegic. Got made quadriplegic at the age of seventy. So on top of all this managing my drinking and life and kids and everything like that, we've got this horrific big family trauma that gets added to the top of it. And looking back now, you know, that was just the, the final little, little people say, oh, that's what happened. But that's, it was all going on before that. But that was just the final little push I needed to, to fall off the cliff. Shit. So what mm. happened next? <laughs> well, so what happened next was it's, it's incredible is, um, like I said, I'm sleeping on the floor at mum's and Danny, my Danny is looking at um, how the hell she's going to manage financially, how she's going to manage residentially. She wants the kids to still be part of my, me to still be part of the kids' life, but she's going to have to have, it's like looking into how she gets them to be able to visit me with supervision and stuff like that, like full on, man, like, yeah full on and my brother came around to mum's and he said I've been talking to um a fella um who I reckon might be able to help you and um here's his number if you want to give him a ring he's from a he's from a 12-step rehab and if you want to if you want to speak to him here's his number and don't ask me why obviously I was that desperate that I just would do anything and I rang someone that I didn't know and I went and had a coffee with him in um in Heighton and, and um, bloke I'd never met before and sat down with him for, for half an hour and he told me he had a conversation like you and I are having and told me his, you know, loosely his story and he looked at his the, the, the date on his watch and he said, you know, I haven't had a drink for five years, one day at a time and this is how I've done it and, and, and I was blown away. Now, not blown away that I just went, okay, cool. I went and bought a bottle of rum and had a good think about that conversation and drank the whole thing. And I can't remember, but I rang him three times in a blackout and uh, begging him for, to take me into a, to a rehab to help me. Wow. And, I, and I don't remember any of it. He rang me the next day and told me. A week later, I was in rehab. Wow. A week later. And, and my family will tell you they, they were um, worried, like just on the edge of their seats for that week, hoping that I'd get there. And and they'll get caught drink driving or not crash a car or not, you know, because it was just, I was unstoppable. Yeah. Despite knowing all the consequences, and I do when I'm in that state, I still know the consequences. I can't make that decision to not do what I'm doing. Yeah, wow. God, mm. I must have been worried sick. Yeah. Shit. So how did it start? So when did you, so you've gone to rehab and you're starting to get a bit of distance between you and the drink. I'm imagining even just a few days sober would have been quite rehab, a rehab. Rehab. I, I did a 30 day. I would only sign up for 30 day rehab. My parent, my my family were very cunning in how they got me to do that too. They they'd already met with the rehab. There'd been a lot of clandestine meetings going on behind my back prior to this, giving me the phone number of this guy, and they were just praying that I'd make that phone call. Right. Wow. Desperately hoping because. One of the things in recovery, really important, is that the person is 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 wanting recovery for themselves. Now, obviously, I didn't know that at the time, but now I know that that's really just it's a, it's a critical part of the process. And uh, 
yeah, so I rang, I, I rang him and, um, and then I had a good think about that too after I said yes and I was like, I can't do this. I've got bills to pay and I've got staff to keep going and I've got all these responsibilities and, and my family and, and my girlfriend had gone through all those scenarios already and come up with reasons as to how they could help me manage it while I was away. So they had a good plan, a really good plan. You know, yeah. we've looked into staff. We can get them to do this. We can get them to do that. We've got some money together to help pay for it. We've done this. We've done that, you know. Mm. Really, really smart. Really well played. Amazing. That's Amazing. So cool. Unbelievable. Yeah. Life-saving. Unbelievable. 100% life-saving. Life-saving, life-changing. Yeah. But then, but then, you know, like, I guess the weird thing for me is, like up until that point in my life, up until that very day, I'd never had the clarity to go, I really want some help. And then, you know, for me, it's just like stars aligning. I got, I got offered to go into rehab. I was whipped enough. I'd survived the whipping. So I was still alive, survived the whipping. Um, the opportunity came and I just fucking grabbed it, mate, and just absolutely took off as hard as I could. And like you said, I got I go into rehab and I get that physical space. I get that physical space from from alcohol. Um, and I get the beautiful this most people would freak out at this. I had my phone taken off me, had my wallet taken off me, had my keys taken off me. Um, and to me at that stage it was just like heaven, you know, like just like fucking no responsibilities, just I just can't do anything anymore. I was just it, it's like running a marathon and just running out of path. Just the exhaustion, exhaustion of trying to juggle life and keep it all going. Mm. Um, it, it just, I just didn't have anything left. And I ran into just some epic people in in the rehab. I just got lucky. Wow. So okay. So after you come out of rehab and you go yeah. back home with Danny and the and the kids, mm. and how was that looking like? Like we said. Horrific. No. Yeah, Horrific. shocking. Shocking. Talk to me about that. Well, I've been daily drinking for 15 years, 15, 20 years. So, I mean, I, I only allowed myself to go in for a month for 30 days. Looking back on it, that was a ridiculously risky decision. I should have been in there for at least, at least three months probably. But, you know, I got in there and I just um, – I did, I made the most of what I could in there. And as I said, it was a 12 step rehab. So I sort of immersed myself in, in that and knew that that was going to be my, um, that was going to, that was my plan. That was my recovery plan to continue on with that type of program when I got out and, mm. you know, I moved in, I moved back home and I've been away getting treated for 30 days. None of the family have. Yeah. So, so it's like you've, you've skipped ahead of everyone by a month, an intense month too, because you, you're not working, you're just doing it, you're only focusing on recovery. So, you know, putting the family back together was, um, that's taken, that's taken every day of three years to still, you know, keep that, keep that going. Uh, like that's, a, uh, that's just one of my main, that's my main focus in life. My main dedication in life is to, mm is to keep that going and repay that because it was like almost spending time with people I didn't know because I'd been with them for all this time, but I hadn't been present. I hadn't been mentally present. Like I'm hanging out with them, but I'm obsessing about the night before or what I've done or racked with guilt and shame and remorse for the way I've spoken to Danny or, you know, whatever. 
And then I'm also obsessing about, well, I feel that terrible. I need to have a drink. I need to, you know, where am I going to drink? How am I going to make the excuse? Blah, blah, blah. It's horrible, mate. Horrible. When so, you got out and you're back home, did you have um, times like cravings where you felt like drinking? No, it's funny. They No, I didn't. Oh, wow. I didn't. Um, and they call, you know, with what we do in, in the 12-step program, they call it the obsession leaving you as a result of the work that you do. Wow. Um, and I'd immersed myself in that. And to me, I, I'd, I'd had enough of it that much. And this is going to sound quite uh, pretty full on, I suppose. But my thinking was I'm not going to pick up a drink and do that to anyone else. I'd, I'd do myself beforehand. I'd probably top myself beforehand. That's That's where my head was at. Wow. It was sink or swim. My head was sink or swim. Yeah. I mean, you could probably tell that, you know, we've glossed over 15 years of daily drinking. So it was pretty, it took its toll on me. So it was like, I'm not picking up. I'm either, I'm not going to pick up a drink. I'm going to do myself or I'm going to survive and keep going one day at a time the best I can. And that's yeah. what I did. So you have, have you had hard times with it or it sounds like if you've not had cravings, it's not the cravings for me. It's not, it's not, um, you know, I know, and I knew straight away that, uh, that I'm a full blown hopeless alcoholic and that to drink for me is to die. Probably that's how dramatic it is. I know it sounds mm. like I'm whacking a bit on it, but that's probably the truth of it. And yeah. so no, the biggest problem I've got is how to live without drinking, not drinking so much, but how to live without drinking and surviving that to surviving a pretty, a head that can get pretty crazy, pretty overwhelmed. Um, so, I, I mean, I've been taught and I identify with the fact that drinking for me is a solution on how to live life. Mm. Not so much is the problem, is more the solution. So I've got to find a way to live daily and and still be pleasant and happy and, and contribute to society and, um, you know, do fulfil my responsibilities in a decent manner without without picking a drink up that's that's how i have to learn to live my life how does life feel for you now today yeah it's epic awesome life's incredible for me absolutely incredible but i've 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 had to i've had to learn a new i've had to have a pretty much a, a completely different a brainwash like an overhaul you know like i had to completely change the way i think and just basic stuff got that going Danny, basic mm-hmm. stuff like, and you, you, you got, you'll know, like, you know, basic stuff like practicing gratitude and, and self care. And, um, you know, for me, it's, it's a bit of spirituality too, trying to, trying to, um, you know, I'm a pretty strong athe- atheist by, by, um, by definition, but, you know, having to try and learn not, nothing to do with religion, but just how to experience life in a spiritual way a little bit sometimes. Mm. Um, just to get out of myself and not think about myself and worry about myself and my problems and blah, 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 all that sort of shit that goes on in my head. <laughs> Helping others, trying to help other people um, mm. is really important, really, really important in, in keeping myself sane. And it's really weird. Like you get taught, you, you get taught. I'd ring up my uh, a sponsor I had. He was a great guy. And he'd say, I'd say, you know, this is happening. That's happening. I can't do this. I can't do that. This is early on when I'm trying to get the business back on track and fix the finances and fix the relationship and fix the kids and still go to meetings and pick them up from bar- all this stuff. And he'd be like, 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Like, right, well, what have you done for someone else today? And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? I can't help anyone else. I've got all these problems. And he'd be like, nah, mate, don't worry about you. Go and help someone else. You need to help someone else when you're feeling like that. Mm. Mm. And and he, he would get me to do some weird stuff. Like, have your boys worked hard today? And I'd say, yeah. And he'd say, well, go down the shops. Just go to the milk bar and and grab him a cold drink. And I'd be like, right, okay, how the fuck is that going to help me that I'm on all this debt? <laughs> debt, and I've got clients pissed off because I haven't done this or done that. He'd be like, just do it. And and he's right, you know, like, and then he'd be saying like, right, well, what can you do just today? Just today in your life, what can you do? You've got to make that phone call that you need to make. You've got to, and you just break it all down. Just break it all down moment by moment. Mm. And if you can keep, and if you can keep doing that in the moment, and just backing those up, day after day after day after day after day, slowly, all these exterior things in my life have have come good, and they've and they've worked their way out, and mm. you know, my kids are awesome now. My little business goes well, goes better than it ever has. I love going to work. I've got a couple of apprentices that I love teaching and hanging out with, and. I've got new skills to teach them now, not just trade skills, you know, like I've got life skills that I can talk to them about, young men that I can mm. hang out with and, and um, you know, they still go out and tell me about all their drinking stories and drugging stories and whatever they're up to and 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 we can have a laugh and, and they, they can have a laugh and, and talk about, you know, what happened to me and and I can and, and I put a lot of effort into my relationship with, with my Danny as well, like... Mm. You know, I owe, I owe that woman a lifetime of decent behaviour yeah. from from what she got put through. Um, yeah. And I, I don't do it perfectly all the time. Don't get me wrong. I'm, you know, I regularly fuck up. Before we came and had this chat, I was shouting at the kids for teeing off too much. You know, like I regularly <laughs> fuck up and lose my rag. And But I, I know now that if I maintain that type of internal feeling, if I maintain that in total, that, that, that's going to, what's going to be lead, lead me back towards drinking, mm. back towards mm. shit thinking, mate, shit thinking mm. until I, until I got, until I got sober. And it took me, it took me a good two years of this recovery. Like I've thought of my three years now, it's only in the last 12 months that my thinking, it's, it's really incredible. Like I can experience positive thoughts i can experience positive emotion and i realize it's real. one of the sayings is you can't you can't uh you can't know the you can only see the insanity from sanity does that make sense mm. you would have heard that before no i haven't but it makes sense yeah so i now that i now that i feel a bit well and sane and and okay i look back and i go holy shit i was operating 
so poorly for so long, like all my life, really. Mm. Um, you know, and I, yeah, I didn't experience enthusiasm and joy and I just didn't naturally experience that sort of stuff. And that's why I was reaching for a drink all the time to get yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. Do you experience it now? Yeah. That's what ways I'm saying. To experience joy and. Oh, like- it's, 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 um, how do I explain it? For me, it's just like, I mean, I hate the word miracle. It's got such religious connotations and, but I mean, what, what the fuck is that? What, are, what if it's not a miracle, what is it? Like, I don't know. Like, okay, for example, like we're in lockdown at the moment and I could not give less of a shit about lockdown. It doesn't phase me. It doesn't bother me. It's just the way it's supposed to be. I go, okay, right. Well, I get up and go to work the best I can and try and help Danny with the kids homeschooling. And um, this morning we we, um, we ducked down the beach in the morning and it's a shit day here. It's in, in Geelong. It was pretty, it's pretty cold and windy, but like I'm walking along the beach with my, with my dog and my, and my girlfriend and coffee and, like I, I marvel at that shit. I'm just like, how good is this? This is incredible. It's a Saturday morning, and and I've got a, I've got what I need to control. I've got it under control, and what I don't, what I can't control, it's out of my jurisdiction anyway. So, you know, and poor Danny, she's down there with the with the hood and the beanie on, freezing, and just with her head down, <laughs> with this lunatic walking along the beach, grinning from ear to ear. Like it's just bizarre for me. That's bizarre. That's so awesome. So it's like you don't need the big things to make you feel joy. It's just you're getting so much joy out of those little moments in life. That yeah, but I had to be. I had to be taught that. I had to be taught how to how to do that and how to manage that. Yeah, big. I, I couldn't give a rat's ass about big houses and fast cars and expensive holidays and high profile. You know, I, I could not give less of a shit. Yeah. Um. You know, finding finding happiness just in the moment, like silly things, like I don't know. I, I I got I was home for a lot of the day, so I I put I lit the fire early this morning, and I've had the fire going all day, and the footy was on telly, and you know, uh, home cooked meal, just basic shit. And I know it sounds like you in know, a way, it's joy uh, to me. That just sounds yeah, beautiful. Yeah, it, it probably sounds like um, but yeah, that's just incredible to me. Like mm. no, a normal Saturday for me is is waking up just <laughs> with a pounding headache peeling my tongue off the pillow because I'm that dehydrated just rack, absolutely racked with guilt and shame and and remorse and you know I'm saying good morning to to my girlfriend because I'll know what type of asshole I was by the response she gives me when I say good morning yeah. you know what I mean yeah and and then just trying to fumble and battle my way through the day and on Saturday especially for me he's trying to avoid starting drinking early he's trying to avoid you know the midday drink oh I'm going to mow the lawn so I'll go out to the shed and I've got a stubby on the go while I'm doing stuff like that so to wake up and go for a coffee and walk on the beach with the dog with a smile on my face and no and really not a care in the world is just fucking unbelievable Oh my god, that's so good. That's so good. That is very a lucky man. Very lucky man. You are, yeah. It's just amazing. Wow. So but had, the, had the you know, Danny, very lucky, extremely lucky, but had had the shit kicked out of me to the point where I, I just had the, uh, I had a, a 
a point in my life where I was just open and willing to try to do anything to be okay. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. So I'm sure you would have heard of the 12-step program before. So why had you not tried it out before? Because Why? Yeah. Because the alcoholic doesn't want to stop drinking, mate. Mm, but even though you did sort of. Well, you want to, but you don't want to. You're too scared to. You're too mm. scared to stop drinking. That's where it gets really terrible, when you're too scared to stop and you're too scared to drink at the same time. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I knew. I mean, we go back to talking about the, the psychologists and the counsellors. I mean, with all honesty, there's no way I ever told them the absolute truth of what was going on because they would say, you've got to stop drinking. Mm. And I knew that, I knew, I mean, I'm smart. A lot of people say, oh, they never heard of AA. I mean, I'd watched, read enough books and watched enough telly. Like, I knew what AA was and I knew that I didn't, I knew that it was abstinence-based and and that it was it was God-based. So, <laughs> fuck that. There's no way I'm doing that. Mm-mm-mm. So I end yeah. up, you know, and that fear of change drives you to keep drinking every day. Yeah. My mate's got a really good saying, and I, he's a really good mate, and he, he nicked it off some off someone else. And he says, "You keep drinking until the pain of change." And I always cock this up, so bear with me. The pain of change becomes less than the pain of doing what you're doing. Does that make sense? The pain of change becomes less than what was the next bit. The pain of change becomes less than the pain of doing what you're doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if you've got a ledger, and the, the pain ledger, mm. you know, and it, it's going up and up and up and all of a sudden this pain, which no one likes change. Change is very difficult. Mm. Mm. Really difficult to change internally and really change your outlook and focus and, you know, no one wants to do that. And humans don't naturally want to do that, break out of that ego and, and mm. change change the way they think. That's what the ego is designed to do, is keep you doing the same thing. Mm, absolutely. So did you just, so you worked the 12 steps? Yes. You did them all? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's good. So I know a lot of people that have gone in and done that, but they've not done the steps and then they've fallen off. Well, another good saying is what is the, what is the fucking point of being in a 12-step program and not doing the 12 fucking steps, mate? great saying <laughs> and we see it all the time all it's really sad it's really mm-hmm. sad like that's the point of why we have meetings is to get up there and pass on our experience and uh, our experience of what happened and also our experience of the solution of how we turned it around internally so that we don't have to pick up a drink to do life yeah totally and the fact like so you're an atheist i know um lindell's i guess you'd call her an atheist, but now she's quite spiritual. Mm. So that scares a lot of people. But I even stumbled across the book the other day. It was um, the 12-step program for Buddhists or something like that. You know, so there is different takes on it and you don't have, you know, it's not necessarily about God, is it? Like, no. No. yeah. So I think for people that are worried about that, let that be the furthest thing from your mind. I think if you need to get there, get there. Oh, 100%. And, yeah, 100%. And, and don't even worry about that. And, so, and, 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 and you, you, anyone that wants to, you know, if you've got anyone listening to this that wants to do that, like they're going to go to an AA meeting and, and cop God right between the eyes. It's, it's unavoidable. 
It's written in the literature as the word God. It's up on the banners in the room as the word God. And, and people will get up and they will talk about God. But the more you go, the more you come to an understanding that, it, that God can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people and it's just a word yeah. um, to, dis- to try and describe, to try and uh, describe a feeling, a way of life, a way of uh, being. Um, and if you can get past that, which is, it's, it's so difficult, took me ages to get past the use of that word Mm. like I rarely I I mean I rarely use it to be honest with you it still sticks in my throat a bit Mm. but one of the things this is not a bad little one of the I read a Tim Winton book when I first went into rehab I was reading I was supposed to be reading AA stuff and I read or 12 step stuff and I read a Tim Winton book and which um, book was it it was the shepherd's hut oh yeah yeah have you read that yeah so there's a there's a like I had a really big light bulb moment in in the rehab um, of reading that, and it was a, a spot where the the young bloke who's talking to the priest out in the bush where they, where he's been exiled or whatever, and he actually asks this priest, um, you know, what does God mean to you? Because this guy's lost his faith, and I'm like sitting in a rehab trying to work out this God thing for myself, and I'm like, what the fuck is this going on? Like, it's a fictional book describing it and and the priest says to him uh for me these days god is what we do god is what you do Mm. i was like fuck i can get on board with that Mm. like Mm. my actions like good actions trying to be good trying to do the right thing Mm. trying to be really conscious of that on a daily like be aware of that constantly like trying to be honest trying to be reliable trying to be responsible you know basic things like that and i'm like that's how i'm gonna get into it this is how this is my little window into it mm, yeah and yeah. and spirituality's taken off i love it now like i'm really weird with it it's like a hobby for me yeah and i don't have any i like reading all different types of spiritual literature and listening to people and checking out different stuff on youtube or talking to people you know it's nothing it's no i don't have a fixed uh, dogma or is that the right word dog yeah. i don't have a fixed uh idea of it like it just evolves and changes and yeah i get that it makes me squirm a bit as well and then a lot of the i read a lot of wayne dyer i don't know if you've read much wayne dyer stuff and a lot of those sort of spiritual teachers and then they refer to god but then then they refer to god as the love kind of within you 100%. and the whole it's universal energy yeah yeah. And so they, yeah, I squirm a bit, but I just, yeah, I know what they what they mean. So, yeah, I just, I don't get too hung up in it. And I just feel like there is an energy out there. And the more I've got into spiritual readings as well, it's definitely enlightened me a lot to that kind of stuff. And I feel more open to that it becomes more normal, I guess, the more you read about it. But in terms of like, I grew up in a Pentecostal church and the, the whole thing makes me just want to gag. Yeah. I can't stand it. But, yeah. um, well, you, you, know, you nailed it with the word openness. Like if you can, mm. if you can, if you're at a point in your life when you're looking for something and you can be open, no matter what's going on in your life, but if you mm. want to be open to, to something, like it's incredible. Um, you know, God for me is the best description is, is, is just that voice in your, the voice that's not a voice, it's a feeling that's in your chest and in mm. your belly. Mm. It's directing you 
where to go. And if you can get in tune with that energy and with, with that, with that, mm. and you, you've got to be quite, um, you've got to be quite, life's got to be quite calm or you've got to be quite calm with how you take it on life to be able to hear it. Mm. If you're getting busy up here, like I, a lot of the time I need to be able to think, think from my heart, not from my head. If I'm thinking and living from my heart, mm. not my head, things tend to go okay. Mm. that makes sense yeah oh god yeah yes 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 mm. so much yes i didn't know that mate i didn't know that i had to get taught that yeah so what would you say to someone who like i've got a friend at the moment who's um struggling mm-hmm. and we'd love to get her into aa but there's a lot of you know that stigma around it and what would you say to someone like family friends of a loved one that's really really struggling what would you say is the best way to point them in the right direction to get them there? What do you think you just can't because they just have to be? It's back down to that openness and that how crushed they are before you can say that the, the pain of trying to do something different is going to be the easier way. Mm. You know what I mean? Like there's no one getting me there. I had to nearly lose it all. Mm. And quite often... I, quite often people that i mean yeah i don't know it's really hard I'm, I'm i'm working with someone at the moment same thing like and and he said to me uh he said he's open to trying to come to a meeting with me and i said okay cool come with me uh come with me he said i'll come with you next week i said no nah, come with me tomorrow and he said he said oh no oh, no nah, nah, i don't know about that and i said mate i said i know what's going to happen i know what happens with us if you if you leave it till next week your thinking will change mate and that that disease will creep in and it'll 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 tell you all the reasons why you've probably overreacted you don't really need to go to AA. you've got this tomorrow will be different um you just have a couple now and maybe think about quitting tomorrow you know all that sort of shit and um and for us for for the hopeless alcoholic that's deadly because it keeps you going keeps you out there so if anyone's like that and feeling like they're really out of control, they've just got to go and have a look and see what happens. Who knows? Mm. You don't have to stay. You come along, you can check it out. And, you know, I've met some amazing people. Um, I got connected again. Oh, you know, I drank to socialise in the end. I didn't know how to socialise anymore. I was drinking by myself all day, every day. Not oh, seeing that's... people. That's what I wanted to go back to. Um, you know, you said um, earlier on that you didn't know how to socialise, you didn't really know how to, to function without alcohol. Mm-hmm. So how is it for you now socialising? Can you still awesome. go and live, connect with people? Because one thing yeah. I find on this podcast is everyone I interview says their authenticity and their connection with people is so much more than what it was when they were drinking. So are you finding that? Yeah, I do. And I, and I yeah, 100%. But again, it took me practice. I had to practice it. And I had mm. to, I had to be, um, I had to be willing to be uncomfortable and learn to be uncomfortable in situations where I mm. don't have an out. I've just got to sit in that uncomfortability and to get taught that people really don't give a shit about me. They're worried about themselves more, and to not be, you know, don't have to worry about so much what people are thinking about you, because or me, because they're really worried about their own shit. And you know, yeah, it's amazing, like. I can still go, like, not long ago I went to a gig with a couple of mates, 
from that I used to drink with back when we were 16, 17. And they were do, still doing the same thing. They were getting spastic and having a great night. And I had a great time with them. But at the end of the night, I just I go, see you boys. And they keep going and doing what they want to do. And I go, no worries, catch us later. Mm. But I, I, I was really lucky too. Like I had some really good people that I'm close to that said, oh, well, we'll just have to find another way to socialise rather than drinking. Like, we'll just start going out for breakfast, having wow. a surf and going out for breakfast and doing stuff like How that. Like, that? Huh? That's great. That's awesome. It's an, like, I'm lucky. I'm really lucky. But mm. by the same token, I took my opportunities too. And those people that did that, I make sure that I give them a ring and I say, what are you doing? Do you want to go and have a surf and have breakfast? Like, I had a, I, I'm lucky that I, I, I remain grateful to that sort of stuff and, Oh, that's a really good tip. So I, I agree there. Yeah, that if if that someone does dangle that carrot, take it, take that opportunity to yeah, take the walk. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, because it's so not true. about me. It's not about me, Danny. If I make it about them, mm. it's okay. If I go, well, they they maybe like to go out. Stop worrying about you, Jim, and maybe go. They might like to go out for breakfast, so maybe you could do that and get out of yourself and maybe help them see what's going on in their lives and. See what's happening. Does Danny drink? Yeah. And that doesn't bother you? That's okay. I'm happy for her. She 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 what she's out in the out in the lounge room in front of the fire having a glass of red at the moment. And that's okay. You don't yeah. feel you don't feel triggered. You don't want to no. Mate, life life's my trigger. Life <laughs> is my trigger. So um you know, I feel sorry for people that have to remain clear of triggers like fuck that's just doing the same shit i was doing beforehand trying to manage life on mm. life's terms i can't do that yeah you know, i go to the footy i go to the i go to concerts i you know people in my house um drink i live with my in-laws like i've got the patience and tolerance to have them live with me wow that uh, that would drive most people to drink hundred percent, mate. But it's not about me again. If I make it not about me and what I want, they needed some help. They needed some. They wanted to stay with us and they wanted to hang out with my kids. So, you know, and they sit around and they have a drink. And if they starting to get a little bit rowdy or starting to give me the shits, I just take myself off somewhere else and go and do my thing for a bit. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Oh, it's amazing. It's unbelievable, mate. It is. So, yeah. and it just sounds like I'd say what I'm picking up from you is that it's not an overnight thing either. It takes some work. It takes some time. It takes a while to get used to things and you, you, you just have to learn. It's reprogramming. It's taking me ages, ages. One, just one day at a time though. It's all I can do. Incredible. So, all right. So in, in closing, I guess, and I ask everyone on the podcast this, if you could go back to, 15 or 14 I think it was when he started 14 year old Jim and sit with him what advice would you give him it kind of makes me sad thinking like that because a couple things sort of immediately come to mind was I mean you wouldn't say don't do what you're doing because you wouldn't get to where I am now Mm. like the journey is hard the road's hard but life's not meant to be easy if we get around thinking that that life's easy and our expectation that life's going to be easy and perfect we're in a bit of trouble to be honest with you but if you can get around thinking you know uh the gift is in the grind you know Mm. um and you can come out on top at the end of that 
I, I wouldn't be the same. If I hadn't gone through that experience, I wouldn't have this. We wouldn't be having this conversation and I wouldn't be sitting here telling you how incredible it is for me to have a walk on the beach, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but it kind of makes me sad too because I know that that self-conscious kid is um, is struggling too probably a fair bit with, with life and where he fits in. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. It's hard. Hang in there. That's what I'd say. Hang in there. Mm-hmm. And... What advice would you give to just someone that's really struggling? Same thing. Yeah. Hang in there. Hang in there. Hang in there. Talk to your mates. Talk to your friends. I mean, if you really want it, if you really want some help, you need to, I don't know any other way to get sober and turn your life around apart from the way that I've done it. I can't, I can't give you any experience or opinion on any other way to stop drinking the way I've done it is is the way I've done it and and it's just it's turned my life around completely and introduced me to a whole way of thinking and socializing and friends and way to look after my family and um taught me how to taught me what's to how to uh, appreciate what's truly important Mm. in life would you say that's one of the biggest gifts in sobriety? Gratitude, learning how to be grateful. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, just the whole package. I just, it just it blows my mind. It blows my mind that I don't have to uh, have to drink. Mm. Blows my mind, Danny. Like for me, that that's incredible. Mm. I don't have to drink. I don't have to drink. Drinking wasn't a choice for me in the end. Mm. God, it must feel so, you must feel so free. Freedom. Good, good, good word. Freedom, freedom from freedom from from alcohol and freedom from thinking about my own shit all the time. Yeah, yeah. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. So amazing. You know, oh. or, you know, when you say that, probably the biggest gift I've got from all that is is probably a, a, uh, hopefully a different way. The biggest gift I've got is is I see the people around me that even aren't drinkers see the people around me change a little bit too from hanging out with me sometimes. Mm. You know, I imagine like, you've got a lot to offer and a lot to give. Suddenly, suddenly, but but I mean, it must be incredible for them to see someone that was just plagued by by negativity and misery and you know depression and anxiety. It must be pretty awesome to see. And I'm not big note myself, but from their perspective, you know, my partner, my family to see someone come out of that and survive that and change. That must be pretty awesome yeah. to witness. Has anyone said anything to you to that effect? Like more so like yeah. friends and things like that? Yeah. Oh, shit, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I was talking to another another fellow I know today. He, he, we were talking about that exact same thing and he's had the same experience. Mm. Like people have seen him. He's been sober a little while now and they've, and they've caught up with him and they've just been chatting away and they haven't seen him for a while and they're like, what the fuck happened to you? And he's like, I'll oh, just stop drinking. I don't drink anymore. It's a yeah. full change, mate. We, just, we sort ourselves we sort ourselves out spiritually and then we end up, you know, sort ourselves out emotionally and mentally and physically as a result of that and we become different people. It's amazing. Mm. And for me to be saying that sort of, shit to you from where i was three years ago like if you if you you just be like what the fuck is this bloke talking about if you knew me three years ago you'd just be really? nice yeah 100 percent. Wow. the day before the day before i went into rehab 
I woke up on the floor at mum's and she said, Jim, where's your car? And I, and I said, uh, oh, I don't know. And I scratched, I scratched my head. You know, you do that when you're thinking, like you scratch the back of your head. Yeah. Where is my car? And I didn't have any hair. So I felt it and went, oh, shit, I've had a haircut. And I said, I, I must have had a haircut. I reckon maybe my car's down near the hairdressers, which is in Belmont, not far from where we live. And there's Kmart down there and just a little cheap hairdressers. And she went down there and I'd driven in a blackout to the hairdresser, uh, shaved my head and left my car down there and just walked home because I didn't realise. And my car was down there with about five grand's worth of tools, not even in a car park, parked in the middle of the fucking road. Oh, shit. True, man. That's how bad I was. And, you know, and now I'm sitting here talking to you about spirituality and sobriety and gratitude and my kids and my partner and, you know, all these just amazing things. We haven't even touched on some of the other guys that I've helped get sober and watched get sober and guys and girls like Lyndall. I've watched Lyndall. I've watched amazing things happen to Lyndall. Yeah, she's so amazing. Changing personality, mate. Changing the way she thinks. Yeah. You've got to see that. Yeah, yeah. I've known her since grade six. Well, that's what we're talking about. Change is incredible. And I try and explain that to people especially when she's been on the podcast and said that the change in this person is like it's like oh, how do you explain such that? a beautiful way like some people get that? yeah some people are scared to hear that their friends change but for us that who's known her just the oh, just incredible so beautiful yeah you don't want to see anyone happy and unhappy and miserable and struggling with life and when you see someone rise above that mm. Like you must identify with what I just said before about my family seeing that in me. Then if you've seen mm. Lyndall do it, like it's just, oh, yeah. I mean, what the fuck's that? Where did that come from? Yeah. 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 Comes from connecting with people again and, and, and a openness and willingness that you didn't have before to just to try some new things and, mm. and have a go. And then stepping out of that fear. I know, I think for, I, I, I'm not going to put words in her mouth, but and anyone's mouth really, but I think that, what happens on this journey in sobriety, whether you're a daily drinker or a binge drinker like me or whatever, it's once you step out of that and break out of that and you have this openness in your heart mm-hmm. and you, I think it's like a, a softness that you develop and a curiosity about life and about yourself and just everything changes the way you think changes. And if you stop feeling sorry for yourself. Self-pity is a killer. Yeah, self pity is the worst. Even when you when you're on the tr- on the sobriety trip, like I think once people get into that self pity, oh no, I wish I could have a drink. That's that's suicide. <laughs> but do you know what I'm saying? So I think that this the transformation really happens within, and it's about openness and just gentleness too with yourself and and just the world around you. I had to you. learn. I had to learn all that. I had to be taught. Mm. I had to be mm. taught by people that understood the way my how shit my thinking was, mm. which is really hard for people that haven't done it or experienced it to understand it. Mm. Um, and then, and then just, just show you and tell you how to do it. And you can't think your way out of it. You've got to start putting some actions in that help you out of it. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, what, I mean, I'm coming out with some good cliches, but you can't, you can't, what do they say? You can't think your way into good action, but you can act your way into good thinking. 
Oh, it's a beauty, that one. You like that one? That's, you know, how true is that? Mm, so true. Yeah. So true. The worst thing you can do about your mental health is to sit around thinking about how shit your mental health is. You've got to get on. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, Isn't yeah, it? yeah. you got to. And that's, that goes for any any sort of mental health. If you've got the capacity to get up and try and do something about it, that's what you've got to do. Yeah. Sometimes we get people come in, they're new, and they're trying to give up drinking and and um, had it a couple of weeks ago. And they said, oh, you know, I went for a walk on the beach and just to have a think. And, you know, and I'm like, that's the worst thing you could fucking do. And they think they're doing the right thing, you know, taking some – but really they need to be – um, maybe don't, going back to what my sponsor taught me, like maybe trying to help someone else, maybe do some spiritual reading. Like you've got to do something. You've got to mm. do something today, now, because thinking about it ain't going to get you anywhere, mate. Mm. Makes it worse. You feel worse. I do anyway. Yeah, so true. Such, mm. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Uh, just so blown away and I'm really stoked that you came on and shared this story <laughs> and i know that so many people are going to really get a lot out of this so thank you okay. and it's just incredible to you know just hear you here like what a fucking journey well Massive. if you get any if you get any guys that um are feeling uh you know that they resonate with that and i can i can sort of only i prefer just to talk to fellas not complicate my life with with <laughs> I've got enough yeah. women in my life. Yeah, I've got three daughters, a mother-in-law, and, and my own partner living here. So you know, I just keep it simple. Um, but you know, I'll give you my number, and if there's any guys that resonate with that and they really need some help or want to talk to someone, I'll give you my number, and they can give me a buzz. Awesome, that's awesome, yeah? Jimmy. That's what we do. Yeah, that's great. Well, yeah, so anyone listening, any dudes, I've actually got one dude in mind that I think is really going to love you. So, yeah, that's awesome. And Who um, knows? Yeah. It's only a phone call and, yeah, and who knows, can, you know, a phone call changed my life. Mm. Changed my life. Yeah. You don't know when lightning's going to strike. So if, if anyone wants to talk to me, who knows? Amazing. So Maybe amazing. nothing will come of it. Maybe something would. Who knows? You don't know. Till you yeah. throw your hat in the ring. That's it. That's right. Thank you so much. What a legend no you are. Mm, what a massive Saturday night we've had. Mate, doesn't get good much better for me. <laughs> <laughs> good, Have a great you? night, Jimmy. Thank you All so right. much. Nice to talk to you. See ya. Bye. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.